The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. What we're going to do is we're going to uh, look at Psalm 67. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Psalm 67 together. Matt read this for us before. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to look at this psalm together. I know this breaks from our series um, in the Psalms, but uh, they're all the songs of Jesus. And so we're just going to go with what he's given us for tonight. So Psalm 67, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, um, you are the God of the nations and you have sent your son to make us glad in you, to enjoy you, to delight in you, and to spread the joy of Jesus throughout the world so that you are magnified and known. And so, God, as we look at Psalm 67 tonight, we ask that you would give us a heart for the nations like you do. So it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why are Christians so emphatic about sharing our faith? Right? That's kind of one of the main things that Christians are known for, evangelicals, right? The main thing of what it means to be an evangelical is the evangelical, evangel, that is the gospel. We like to share it. Um, Why are Christians so emphatic about sharing the gospel? Um, uh, Often, when as I've shared Christ with my friends uh, here in the city and then at other places that I've worked, I often hear bad stories of their experience of people shoving religion down their throat, right? Um, Because they're like, wow, like I really... I like what I'm hearing about Jesus, but man, this is so different than what people have shoved at me for so long. Um, right in my last job, I had a friend that I uh, got to know, and we, religion came up, and so typically religion kind of be a bit of a, a touchy topic, you know, when you, especially in your work environment where you have to, like, come in the next day and say hi to somebody and still be nice to them and work with them. <laughs> and we were talking about it, and he was like, whoa, I don't want to talk about it here. So we met later, and all of we just ended up talking about what his uh, life was like and his thoughts about God and sharing who Jesus is and what the gospel is all about. Um, But that moment, sharing the gospel, is at the heart of who we are, what it means to be a Christian. That's how we became a Christian because somebody shared the gospel with us. And it's a heart of what it means to be um, sharing, uh, what it hard means to be a Christian is to share the gospel. And there's a lot of bad motives for how you can share the gospel, right? We've all experienced those, right? of, um, you know, uh, trying to prove your point, trying to, you know, for some ways trying to like build up, like I'm right and you're wrong or, um, you know, get the numbers in the church door, right? It'd be great to see a thousand people at a part of our church. That would be fantastic, but we could go about that the wrong way. We could change our message. We could change who we are. We could change our identity to get people in the door, um, I, uh, I grew up United Methodist, and so it was always the joke that Jonah was the first Methodist missionary in the Bible um, because he was the most reluctant missionary ever. Um, <laughs> so I didn't grow up around a lot of mission talk, uh, but it's as, as we have been a part of um, other churches that love to share the gospel and see the gospel go to the nations, this has grown to be a passion of mine. And we are looking at Psalm 67 to answer this question, why do Christians share the gospel? When we look at Psalm 67 tonight, what we're looking at is we're looking at a psalm that is written probably at the, probably around October time frame in, this, in terms of the calendar year, where the harvest, are getting the harvest in, 
they're pulling the harvest in. They've just pulled in all the harvest, and just like we do for Thanksgiving, they they hold a big fat feast, and then they go to the church and they say, "Thank you, God, for that big fat feast." Right? They go to church and they say, "God, thank you for this big feast." And probably what happened is the guy who wrote this is has just come back from the temple worshiping God. Thank you, God, for this great harvest that you've given us and your blessing upon us and having this harvest. And then he starts to think, but God, we, we didn't do anything to get your attention to deserve this harvest that you've freely given us. And if we didn't do anything, those nations over there didn't do anything, but yet you've pursued us and you want a harvest over there too. That seems to be kind of what's the the background of what's going on for this psalm. And so as he is worshiping God who has given this harvest, he turns his attention to the nations and says, God, why do we want to pursue the nations? Why do you want to pursue the nations? To see them uh, come to be your people. Right? Gladness is at the heart of what's going on here. Just been in a worship service. God, thank you. Reflecting on this worship service. God, thank you. God, that you want worship services over there to thank you. And at the heart of the psalm is a heart for missions because it is a person who loves, who enjoys God, who wants more people to enjoy God. That's the heart of what's going on in this psalm. When we enjoy God, we want other people to enjoy God. Because God, his mission, as we're going to see, we're just going to look at this briefly, his mission is to make people glad in him, to make people joyful. It's a, it's, a, it's, a heart, it's a heart mission to save us, to burst with joy with him, to, be, to delight in who God is. People who enjoy God want all people to enjoy God. So we're going to look at the first four verses, and we're going to look in the ha- second half of the psalm. We're going to cut it straight in half. And so the first part we're going to look at is uh, the aim of grace is worship. Right? We when we look at this psalm, we are, we are confronted at the forefront with a God who is gracious, aiming at worship. So we're going to read the first four verses, and then we're going to dig into these just so you see this with me. May God be gracious to us and bless us. There's grace right up front. See, I'm not making it up. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. See, that worship service that we're referring to, that he went to, would have had in that worship service what is called the ironic blessing. Aaron turned into ironic, not ironic, ironic blessing and that blessing would have read the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace that would have been in numbers six that he would have heard that blessing upon him as he has held in his hands the fruit of long hard labor the harvest and that the blessing that pronounced upon him may the lord make his face to shine upon you you see the image here? This is not a God who is begrudgingly kind of like, well, I guess I'll chop up these carrots and throw them off the table and give you a little bit of some harvest. <laughs> right? This isn't a God who's begrudged by giving people grace. This is a God whose face shines to give us grace. This is a God who, whose face shines like a father to a child, like happy to bless their children. 
right? Happy to give, even when they've been a total jerk face, right? The kids are total not worthy. <laughs> but God looks at, the, looks at us and a face shining, graciously saying, yes, yes, I will give you the harvest. Yes, I will give you what you need. Yes, I will give you good gifts. That sounds like the God of the Bible, right? The God who gives good gifts to people who don't deserve them. So he's just heard this and he's reflecting on this reality. God loves and he's happy to do it. He, he, you realize this is a God who's happy to bless people who don't want it. <laughs> That's Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. God's a happy God and he loves to pursue sinners who don't like him. <laughs> to help them, change them, and renew them to love him. That's the, that's the way grace goes in this whole psalm, right? right? He is not annoyed by our need for grace. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And then he turns his attention, right? It's like me saying, may God be gracious to us and Lord, do it for others. You see that in verse two, it goes from that, that shift of tone from verse one to verse two. Make your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth. You're saving a power among all nations. Right? Here's the basic gist of that. God, you've got people who love you and you want more to love you. Right? That's, that's the layman's interpretation. God wants a bigger family. Right? He's going to take more people in. He wants to bring in more people. But why? Why does God, why does God give grace to you, grace to them, and then that grace changes us to want others. Because grace is a bottomless ocean. It is inexhaustible. It is like God because it is the presence of God. Grace, you cannot, as you cannot get to the end of God, right? Always, forever, uncontainable. Grace is uncontainable. It will explode out and bring more people in. And so as he is reflecting, God, you've been gracious to us. God, you want, you want more. And it's not because like there's like seven pieces of the pie and there's a seventh piece left to give out. It's because there's an infinite number of pies and God wants to give more of himself away. Right? God is eager to pursue more people. Right? So God wants more people to know him. Look at verse three and four with me. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. All right, you can expect that sort of phrase at the end of what's just been said. But then he goes into some reasons. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. Right? God, you've been gracious to us. And now that grace, what's the aim of that grace? Let the nations be glad. Grace makes us happy, right? It's a real simple equation. God is gracious to explode our hearts with happiness, right? That, that is what is going on when God gives us grace. God is the pursuer, right? You see that, right? Let the nations be glad. God, you're the one who pursues to make us glad. And the result of God's pursuit is worship, right? The, the result of God's mission to us is not just to contrast this for a second, the, the, the reason God pursues us to give us grace 
is not to give us perfect lives, perfect families, perfect kids, perfect church, perfect job, perfect taxes. God, God doesn't pursue us to make our lives fair, right? We're in a broken, sinful world. God pursues us to give us himself. And if you get God, <laughs> the world comes with it, right? <laughs> God pursues us to give us himself, right? That's why I think the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus teaches, like, Jesus, your mission is to us to make us sons and daughters of the living God. So teach us how to pray to this living God. So, okay, here's how you pray, right? God, our Father, and provide for us daily, right? Like there's not like, God, I, I really need you to give me the perfect job right now or the perfect spouse, the perfect kids or whatever, perfect circumstances, right? My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, not my ambitions. Your kingdom come, your grace come, not what I deserve come as it is in heaven, right? We, we desire God to come because God, when he gives us himself, he comes to give us joy. So there's a couple things that we just draw real quick before we go to the second half of the psalm. And I, 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 don't, make, I don't make political comments very often. <laughs> I, we are not about making political comments, but I feel like this psalm touches on an issue that has been going on in our nation, and I feel like we need to touch on it just briefly. The Lord is not a national God. You see, this psalm was given to the Hebrews, and they had no concept that there would have been people in English praising Jesus in Manchester, New Hampshire, 3,000 years later. <laughs> but the fulfillment of this psalm is in us existing right now. The Lord is not a God of nations, He is not a God of skin color. He's not a God of specific languages. He is not a God of a particular party. The Lord is the God of all nations and all people. And as we talk about missions, we do have to acknowledge that sometimes missions is pursued and maybe to use a charge term, but it, sometimes we've unintentionally done racist missions, right? We've, or um, privileged missions of whatever kind. I'm not trying to use keywords, but just... I'm trying to find language to describe this, right? When we send, we have sent people on mission work internationally, and the per, and what they do is they take skirts go to this length. We use certain Bibles. We do school a certain way. We do church a certain way. We sing certain songs. We use certain translations of the Bible. We do things in a particular way. This psalm is saying God's way is to know him, to love him, to be, receive his forgiveness, and for those nations to embody for their own culture what it means to praise and honor the Lord God, right? That's why at the end of the day when God says, all my people are around me, right? We're going to look at Revelation 5 in a little bit. All languages, peoples, tribes, and, and tongues, I'm getting all four of them right, <laughs> right? You got all of them express in their own language, in their own culture, right? There are there will be, and I will love this, there will be a people that embody Ikea perfectly around the throne room of heaven, right? And I will love it. I'll go and, man, I'll, my minimalist brothers, I will just go stand right with them and sing minimalist songs to Jesus. And then all you hippie people who love to sing the Grateful Dead to Jesus are going to go and ha join with those people, right? 
And then people from Asia and people from different parts of Asia and people from Russia and people from South America with their own cultures will come with all their different skin colors and languages and tongues and cultures and fulfill this psalm. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. They will sing for joy because of who God is. Now he has shaped them and redeemed our cultures and languages to praise him. Right? And if you want to dispute that, that's fine. But I'm saying you're here right now because this psalm is true. Let the nations, let Manchester, New Hampshire be glad because God has pursued a bunch of blue-collar people who don't deserve it to love Jesus and to sing about him. He does love glide-collar too, people. You know, they're okay. (laughs) One of the other things that I think we see here is that our joy fuels the pursuit of their joy, right? You see, this psalmist is laying out for us this picture. I love what God has given me. God, you have been good to me. God, I want all people to know you, to enjoy you, right? We don't participate and we don't financially give and support foreign missions begrudgingly. We don't just say like, well, it's the right thing to do. Here's the check. No, we give because God has been good to me. I don't deserve to have children that interrupt me <laughs> who are so good. They've been a good, God's been good to me. I don't deserve to have, be a member of a church where people love Jesus and remind me that, hey, Jacob, yeah, you're a jerk, but Jesus still loves you. God's been good to me. And I want to see people in other countries that don't have Jesus, not only the next block over, right, the next in the next zip code, but the next nation over, to respond with joy for who God is and what he's done. So let's look at the second half, all right? Pick up in verse 5. The need for missions is worship. Verse 5 through 7. Let's read these together. Let the nations, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. John Piper, who has had a profound influence on the state of global missions today, just summarizes this, this psalm perfectly. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist, the sending of people exists because worship doesn't. God is eager for people to worship him and love him. And so missions does not exist because it's a good thing to do. Missions exist for one end, the praise and enjoyment of God. Right, the aim of grace is to have soul-saving, heart-filling, mind-renewing grace in each of our lives to change us and shape us to then compel us to join what God is doing. Right? The flow, the flow of this whole psalm, if you pick up in verse 6 with me, the earth has yielded its, in, has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. You notice... The, act of, the person who's doing all this work here, it's kind of implied here, but you see it. The earth has yielded, which means it's responded. Who's the one doing the work? God is the one who's doing the work, right? This is a metaphor here, right? 
God's the one pursuing the nations, and we join him. That's the point. God's the one leading the mission. That's, that's whenever we talk about what's going on here at King's Cross, God's the one leading this church plant. I'm just the dude that gets to lead everybody else along what God's doing, right? This is not my church. This is God's church. God is the one leading the mission, and we join him. The earth yields because God leads it to yield. So we join what God does, right? We join, we go because we join. We don't go and then God joins us, right? That's the picture here. We, we don't go, hey, God, it'd be really great um, to start a church in Manchester, so why don't you make it happen? <laughs> or, God, it'd be really great to see people saved in Isan. Why don't you make that happen, God? We're going to go do that now. No, we follow what God does. And so we follow God's great mission to the nations, not only our neighborhood, but to the nations as well. But you see, this is the thing that is potentially limiting if we just focus our attention on this psalm, is that there gets, the Bible gets more specific about God's mission, right? This psalm says, God goes to the nations. And we want to ask, how? How does God go to the nations? See, ultimately, God sends his son. He sends the true king who lives a perfect life, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent, right? From the garden, God, whenever sin has entered the world, God is always ascending. He is a mission God, right? It's the mission of God all through the Bible. God is the one who pursues. He pursues to give his grace, to give his mercy, to give his love to undeserving, broken, sinful people like us. And it culminates in sending his son, sending his son into the world to die on our behalf, to live a life that we can never live, to walk in our shoes, to be perfect in every way. And then without shoes, walking up the dirty, dusty hill, Calvary, to be nailed upon a cross. And you know what he recites on the cross? Remember one of the seven things that Jesus says is, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is this picture of the innocent servant of God who loves God and delights in God and lays down his life Right, he is crushed under the wrath of God. And then what happens in Psalm 22, right, is suddenly, suddenly Psalm 22, right, save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen, <laughs> right? The picture is, save me, oh God, God, you've forsaken me. You save me, right? God suddenly changes the course of history at the last breath of Jesus as he's uttering, God, why have you forsaken me? Why has God forsaken Jesus on the cross? For us, <laughs> for our salvation to forgive us our many, many sins. And then in that hinge moment, the entire course of the universe is changed from a cry of desperation to a cry of victory. You know, the crazy thing that happens here in the Psalm 22. Down in verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. As Jesus is dying upon the cross, he is thinking about global missions. He is dying so that the nations can know the risen king, so they can know the free grace of God in the gospel, 
And so that as we are saved by Jesus to fulfill this psalm, right? So Jesus fulfills Psalm 67 by dying in our place with his last breath, thinking of the fulfillment of God's glory in saving us. We're now shaped and turned into people that become like Jesus, like Psalm 22. We lay down our lives for the sake and advance of the gospel to the nations. Jesus, Jesus was more than an example, right? Jesus died in our place for the sins that we have done with joy against God. We don't do that for our neighbors, but we do lay down our lives for our neighbors to love them and pray for them, get to know them and share Jesus with them. We do that in our neighborhoods. We do that to the nations. So that when it comes time for us to raise up and support people who are laying down their lives for the sake of the gospel, we support each other in our neighborhoods to lay down our lives like Jesus. We support each other to the nations as we lay down our lives to send people to the nations. We have a self-giving Savior who sends self-giving people because we are people who enjoy a good God who want to see more people enjoy God, right? We must eagerly desire to see all people enjoying God. And so, as we talk about doing that here in Manchester, We've invited England to be with us because we want to be from the very beginning that we are not great in power or influence. <laughs> we want to train our own hearts to be a part of God's mission to the nations. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray and then we're going to have the Englands up here because we want to turn our attention not only for our own souls to be shaped by this self-giving God for the joy of all people, but we want to specifically put into practice joining God's mission to the nation. So we pray, and then we'll invite our friends up. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this psalm, and we ask that as we turn our attention to what you are doing in Thailand, that we would have hearts filled with joy for your saving work in our lives here. And Father, we pray that we would be joining your work to see more people saved, to be glad in Jesus through the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to set up these stools, and then you guys are going to come up here, and we're going to interview David and Mandy, right? Yes, I'm getting the names right. <laughs> so would you guys come on up here? <laughs> oh, wait, 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 hold on. We're going to do the video, right? You're thinking that, and I didn't think about that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to show a video, and then we'll come up and do that. Is that cool, guys? Okay. <laughs> Sorry.
So can you fill us in on the video that we just missed? <laughs> uh, oh, that's hot. Um, so the, the video was put together by the, the leader of the ESON area team with uh, Pioneers organization that we're going with uh, to Thailand. And he put it together four or five years ago as kind of a vision for what he wanted to see happen among the ESON people, which are a group of uh, 22 million people in northeastern Thailand, uh, which is comprised of uh, over 98% Buddhists and only like 0.2% evangelical Christians. So something like one or two in a thousand. And then there's big swaths of that area where there just aren't any known Christians or no churches or anything like that. And so the, vi the vision of the video was to, to inspire folks to join the team to Isan yep. and to, to meet the need of the harvest that's available there. Excellent. So can you guys fill us in a little bit about you guys personally? Like, where did you go to elementary school? Um, what your grade point average was in college? <laughs> where did you meet? Um, you know, basic stuff about you guys. That yeah, we yeah the basic grade yeah, point yeah. average stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we both grew up in Florida on the East Coast, not too far from the Space Center, like an hour east of Orlando. And we didn't meet until college at a ballroom dancing class from mutual friend invited us there. But but uh, we actually, we know we were in the same room at least once in high school because we were both in music stuff. And, and so we were, we were pretty close there. Um, but we, we met in college at FSU and got married at the end of my sophomore year, her junior year, and, and uh, spent a few years there before going out to Colorado, starting to have a couple kids out there. And, yeah. and then we've lived the last four and a half years, I think it is, in Charleston, South Carolina, where we go to a Sovereign Grace Church there. And um, we've got four kids now. Uh, Sophie is six, Judah is five, Christian is three, and then Silas is three months. Excellent. So we've she's she's much busier than I am on a normal day. <laughs> Thankfully, God's um, given us a lot of blessings. Um, he's poured out His grace on us many many times, and um, yeah, it's uh, you know we've we've enjoyed um, growing in the Lord over the years. It wasn't until until college and we met that uh, that I ever came came to be a, uh, associated with the church at all. I grew up apart from the church, my family. Um, we're never believers and, and she grew up in the church, but not a believer. And it wasn't until after we got married that God used each other's sin to, to draw out our, our hearts, uh, and save us from ourselves and, and bring us to him. So real quick, just to give you guys a, a some of the backstory here is, so Mike Seaver's the pastor of your guys' church and Mike Seaver has, uh, uh, was a part of the early stages of helping me think through the church plant here. So this is a part of our partnership together in Sovereign Grace. Their pastor has helped us. There's a lot of things going on here because of his influence um, and helping me think through things. So um, two quick questions about your background before we move on. Um, first is, if you were that close to Disney World, did you have any annual passes? How many times have you been to Disney World? I, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> I only went like once. I think you had a few more. You guys had annual passes at some point, right? No? no? My family has that. Oh, you, you had annual passes like SeaWorld or something? SeaWorld, yeah. yeah. All right, well, she can stay. You can leave. Like, we, <laughs> if you've lived that close and you haven't been that often, this is a real problem. I, I don't like crowds or lines. Oh, well, we can talk about that later. Um, <laughs> second thing, um, do you, uh, what do you, what shoes do you wear for uh, jogging? 
uh, yeah, so I I wear very minimalist shoes, yeah. uh, which maybe from your uh, description earlier, maybe you enjoy, but harachas. Okay. Yeah, it's just like a, a slab of thin rubber and a string. So, like sandals? Yeah. It's like sandals, yeah. <laughs> okay. Worse than sandals. It's Worse flimsier than, than sandals. Yeah, so, okay. You can right. roll it up like a tortilla. Yeah. So, um, I, I was... I, I was set up for that question. I, I knew, oh, okay. I knew okay. a little bit about that. That's a weird question if you weren't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the guy who's leading the team um, in, Thailand, in Thailand, um, I went to pastor college with him. So that's a part of another way in which we're kind of built into this is friend with uh, the guy who's leading that. And so how did you guys get connected with the mission? And then how did God birth in you guys a sense of calling for Thailand? Yeah. So... Um, from the earliest stages of when God saved us, we've had a heart for the nations just because God is worth it. He's worth every last person's worship uh, all around the world. And so we've, we felt a draw to that, but we've always thought of ourselves as senders and encouragers until one day, um, the, the leaders of the, the team to Isan came to visit the sovereign grace church. We're a part of in Charleston. And we spent, uh, Saturday night at, at Mike Seaver, our pastor's house, and we had a time of prayer with them. And we left thinking like, man, this is really amazing. This is something that needs to happen. We will pray for them. We will encourage them. Go you guys. <laughs> and then uh, the next day rolls around and uh, the guy gets up to, to preach. And Mandy's out, out in the hallway with our previous baby, uh, taking care of him, but I'm in there. And he's sharing about the 1040 window, which if you're not familiar is 10 degrees latitude to 40 degrees latitude, kind of stretching across Africa and Asia. And in that big box, you've got something like 2 billion people who've, who've never heard anything about the great God that we get to worship every Sunday and really have no realistic chance of hearing unless someone goes to tell them. And so in that moment, I felt like God said to me, like, you have to be a part of fixing that problem. And my first reaction was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to go tell Mandy we're moving to somewhere in that box. <laughs> and, I mean, she's she's changed a lot in the last couple of years, but she is not, by nature, an adventurous person. She had never left the country. She was like, uh, give me a grilled cheese sandwich all the time kind of person. Like, yeah. going around the world wasn't really her thing. So I was a little nervous about that. But we had invited um, that family and a few others from the church over for lunch afterwards. And so she left right away and she's heading home to make lunch. And she's thinking about them, thinking about lunch. And all of a sudden she just blurts out, I'm moving to Thailand. <laughs> and she was, she was a little shocked. And so she kind of calmed down and started talking like, God, what, was I having a stroke? Or like, was that you? <laughs> and, uh, t and he confirmed like, that was me speaking to you. I want you to go to Thailand. Mm. And so she puts herself across the table from them and like, hey, are you gonna have running water? And you know, has some direct questions. Uh, and then when they leave, she looks at me and says, I think we need to go to Thailand. And at that point I'm like, okay, God has spoken. We need to go to Thailand. The king, king gave orders. We need to start marching. Yeah. And so it's that was in March of 2015. Wow. So two and a half-ish years Yeah, two ago. and a half years. And the first first six months, it was kind of an exploratory. We know we need to do this, but we're not 100% sure what that means exactly. And yeah. eventually we sorted out. We're going with Pioneers Organizations, uh, the organization that uh, the leaders had already kind of chosen. We confirmed that like, that was good with us. And yeah. We went on a survey trip to kind of scout it out, and the team agreed, like, yep, yeah, we like you guys, and we like them. So it was all kind of. So do they have running up. water? 
They do have running they water. Have running water. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's that's. I mean, running water that you can't drink and 3G service everywhere. <laughs> Excellent. So tell us about the 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 exploratory trip that you guys went on, and like, what would it be like to meet somebody on the street, like Inisan? Yeah. Um, it was interesting. We spent 12 days in Thailand, a couple days in Bangkok, and then most of our time out in Isan. And uh, one thing is that it's very easy for us to meet people. At first, I thought we'll have to come up with ways to engage people, but no. Like I'm a six foot three white guy with a beard. <laughs> they all noticed me. <laughs> so, yeah. so it was not uncommon to meet them in the street and then just to like be pointing and talking about me. But beyond that, um, I mean, they're they're very joyous, happy people that yeah. welcome you in. A lot of them wanted to practice their English on us, and we got to have some conversations and get to know folks, and they were very great. inviting. And uh, one thing that we've heard a lot about is, is something we've also heard some about uh, the Northeast, where they're not quick to share their, their lives intimately with you. They're, they don't want you to invite them into your home right away. You kind of have to establish a relationship first mm -hmm. and before you can kind of dig into each other. Um, so that might be something that's similar to yeah. what the mission looks like here. Yeah. How would they, I mean, dress different? Like what would it be like to meet somebody just like visual level? Like a... It's it's not too different from here. Yeah. I'm sure there's some folks that enjoy more traditional garb, but in, in a lot of ways, they're becoming more Western. They think we're really cool. There were a couple people that ran up to us, America number one. Like, and not to you know, like put yeah. a stereotype, but that's honestly what they said to us. So, right. I mean, they, they, yeah. they appreciate our culture and are trying to, unfortunately, they've imported some of the worst of it. We, we saw a really interesting scene. We were there uh, early part of December, and in one of the shopping malls, they had a giant Christmas tree, and next to it, a couple of Easter eggs. <laughs> And we weren't quite sure. I think they're just going for commercialism, like come shop some more. That's, I, right. But they were very confused about any of the, the spiritual right. elements around the things that they were putting up. Right, because obviously Jesus and Easter eggs go really well together yeah, at any point yeah. of the year. All the time. <laughs> so, so you've used the phrase, um, or when we talk about Esau in Thailand, we use the phrase like unreached people group. Like, I know that that can be kind of thrown around. Define that for us. Like, what does that mean to be an unreached people group? Right. So, ESAN is one of the, the largest unreached people groups in the world. If uh, you go on a site like the Joshua Project, they kind of try to keep track of, of these things. And their definition is uh, less than 2% evangelical Christians. But the functional definition is basically there aren't enough people who love Jesus there to share Jesus with all the other people. Right. So, I mean, it's it's just fundamentally that the majority of people there will never hear about God. If you walk into a village and say, have you heard about Jesus? They'll say no, but he might live over there. Right. They, they don't have any context, any frame of reference for what we're talking about. And they don't realistically have a chance of hearing about it unless someone comes and brings good news to them. Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, I think that's very similar to what we experience here, but very different. Because you, I mean, you're talking about, you're saying 98% Buddhist. So like there's no Christian framework or language at all. Right. Right. Yeah. And so in the case of the Isan people in particular, there's a few hurdles that they have that, I mean, most of Thailand is very, uh, very in need of the gospel, but Isan has some particular challenges. They have a different language, a different heart language that they speak in their homes. There's no scriptures in that language. It doesn't even have written form. Oh, wow. And so they're studying the scriptures in their second language. And then Thai has some peculiarities around 
the kind of royal language that they use, which gets associated with Jesus and which makes it kind of uh, not everyday usage. So for them, it's like their second language reading some really old King James version. And, you know, there's different, different challenges right. to bringing the gospel into that context yeah. beyond the fact that culturally it's, it's um, hard for them to leave the faith of their family and to kind of break right. the bonds that, that are there for because Buddhist the beliefs. Uh, Buddhist background for them would be, it, it's it's not just kind of like a religious thing they do on the weekend. It's like their whole family and their whole cultural identity that they're leaving right, to right. become a Christian. Yeah, and, and there's even aspects about merit making in the Buddhist culture that children can earn merit for their parents through their acts of merit making. And so to to say I'm not a Buddhist anymore is to potentially oh, wow. take away from your parents' Right. So there's there's definitely some social cost to so following not, Jesus. Right. So it's not just kind of like, well, my parents aren't going to see me at, you know, the mosque on Friday, or they're not going to see me at the Buddhist wor- worship. It's it actually has religious implications reverse for right. their parents. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. That's that's a that's really fascinating, and and definitely an aspect to be praying for converts to have the courage when God awakens their souls to Jesus to be able to have the courage to be able to say those, have those conversations with their family. Right. Yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah. That's, um, so, um, tell us about, so you we talked about Isan, right. And, um, going over, by the way, we're not using the lead guy's name because he's asked for some level of anonymity just so that we can kind of, so that's just, um, he's got a weird name too. So it's really easy to find them. So, um, but, uh, what um as you guys have been talking about what the mission is, can you talk us through like what's your strategy for pursuing the people of Isan, what God's doing there, and then how long are you guys going for? Kind of talk us through that dynamic. Mm-hmm. So our particular purpose is to start an indigenous church planting movement in the southern Nakam Panam area. So I'll try to unpack what that means. So yeah. by indigenous, we want something that is culturally authentic to the Isan people. We got a chance to visit a couple churches while we were there. And it's interesting that the moment we stepped out of the airport, we we're like, oh, this smells weird. Oh, this looks weird. Oh, this feels weird until we got to Sunday and we walked into church and it was, it was super familiar. We sang Amazing Grace. There was air conditioning. There was a projector and a piano and everything felt the same, even though all of the other time it felt completely foreign to us. So we know that that doesn't quite line up with their culture. So part of our heart is that it would be indigenous. It would be something that they own that is an expression of their culture's worship to God, as you were talking about, how we want before the throne of God there to be this authentic worship of that culture. So that's what indigenous. And then we want a church planting movement, which is this uh, instigation of God, of people who have built into the, the DNA of their... Uh, their hearts and in their churches to be a replicating people. So we want we want to see home churches started that then spread and spread and spread, that everyone have the desire to share their faith with the next person and give them the kind of methods that are simple, replicatable. They don't yeah. require technology and funding and education because they don't have any of those things. So we want them to have tools available that they can teach the next guy and teach him everything he needs to build his own church and teach the next guy. Yeah. And so we, we kind of want to equip them with those tools. And, and practically, it probably looks like us having some sort of um, community benefiting outreach to begin with, whether it's education, 
the, it's a very economically depressed area, so equipping them with English skills, with skills in technology, things like that could be a huge benefit to them. And then through that, building relationships until God draws people to himself and then equipping them with those tools to begin this uh, hopeful you know, spread of his gospel throughout that area. Yeah. And those are the sort of, I mean, honestly, in terms of how we think about church planting here at King's Cross, we've, our, our paradigm has been more informed by global missions, by stuff in Thailand and Nepal and all those places where you have, um, you know, a smaller number of people who love Jesus together. And they have smaller groups of people that kind of outcrop around them and you empower those people to pursue. And it's it, the, that model of pursuing with, um, without it, you know, big budgets and all that stuff. We've, we've been learning from that here. How long are you guys going to be going for? So we'll, we're committed to be there for at least the next 10 years. Okay. And part of that is that, uh, folks who are in leadership estimate it takes seven years to become useful. Seven years to become useful. Right. So it's it's a year or two to get enough language. I got language. four years to go, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get extra time. <laughs> so seven years to be useful, useful, and then just, so that 10 years would then just include three years of like all out being able to, to do stuff. I mean, the Lord is in charge of how his mission goes. We're just partnering with him and what he's doing. But, you know, usually it takes years to learn the language to proficiency. And then it takes years to understand culturally. When mm. I say these words to you, what do you hear me saying? How do I communicate these deep truths about grace and faith? And the fact that there's even a creator, they don't have a creator in their worldview. It's an endless cycle. So there's all these things that you have to figure out how to express to them in a way that right. makes sense. It just takes time and, and, um, yeah, so we're just, we, we're appreciating the journey that God's had us on now that yeah. it's taken a while because it's an opportunity for us to build faith and perseverance that way when, when five years in, there's no fruit yet. We can just know that the Lord is good. He's called us here and he's at work. Yeah. And so like, if you were to say like in 10 years, what's the, what's the dream? What's the hope of what God will do in 10 years? I mean, I know that we can't, you know define what God's going to do, but let's dream big for a second. In 10 years, what are we, what are we trusting for God to do? So right now, the area that we're looking to reach is uh, around 300,000 people with no known believers and no churches. And there's uh, four counties in that region. And so our heart would be that there's meaningful church presence in the capitals of all those counties okay. in that time frame. That's kind of the, the vision for what we see. Happen. Excellent. So, as we are, you were a part of the same family of churches. Talk us through a little bit of um, Sovereign Grace and like how are you guys, what's the relationship with Sovereign Grace in doing this? Because Sovereign Grace has not historically had a great missions department, and now we're learning how to do that. <laughs> and you mentioned pioneers, so talk us through that. Right. So, uh, Sovereign Grace Church of the Low Country down in South Carolina is our is our sending church. They're they're still responsible for for caring for us. They're the ones sending us, commissioning us to go out and do this. And as a whole, uh, Sovereign Grace Churches has rallied around us. We have a lot of churches we've had the opportunity to share with that have partnered with us and are encouraging us and sending us as well. Um, but Pioneers is, as an organization is equipping all of the mission-specific stuff that uh, that re that's required in a world like today where you need visas and you need uh, organizational structures that know how to support people with the particular challenges of mission. And so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a neat partnership. Mm -hmm. Uh, and pioneers is, um, a great group that we love and 
they have a real heart to partner with local churches and bring the sending church into the process as much as possible yeah. and encourage them to be the primary caregivers. And so, yeah, we've, uh, we've got an, a great group of people behind us from within our church and within sovereign grace as a whole. Mm. That's fantastic. I, um, so as we're talking about you guys going and these four counties and these big dreams, um, you've mentioned that, you know, the decision to go was not easy for for some people. How's this been? Um, how has this impacted your family? Just talk us through. Just the, you know, you can be as specific or broad as you want. But how's this in fact impacted your family with the decision to go to Isan? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a life changing kind of thing for for our little family. You know, us and our four four kids. It's been. It's been interesting to walk through our two older kids who are, are six and five. They have enough understanding of what we're talking about to kind of have to wrestle through what it means to say goodbye to friends, to have to understand a new language, to, to eat food they don't necessarily appreciate. And um, it's been neat to watch God use that as a way for them to count cost as, as Manny and I have had to count the cost mm. and um, just to see God at work, especially in our daughter's heart, that she knows that Jesus is worth that sacrifice. And she wants to go do this, even though she, she is a extreme extrovert. <laughs> I don't know where she got that from, but she is an extreme extrovert. And so just the thought of her not being able to communicate in the people's language mm. drives her nuts, but we know she'll, um, she'll persevere yeah. uh, for the sake of talking to people. But yeah, just to watch God give her faith for that. And then with our, our larger family, our parents and things like that, it's been, it's been a mixed uh, set of emotions we were we were concerned telling Mandy's mom in particular. Mm. So like like I mentioned, we, we lived in Colorado for a few years and we had our first two kids there. And the whole time we were there, she was like, why'd you go so far away? Yeah. Um, you're taking my grandkids. And so that was part of what drew, drove us back to South Carolina. So that's like a six hour drive from home. And so she was very appreciative. And then we were like, oh, we're gonna tell her we're gonna go 12 time zones away. <laughs> That's that's not ideal. Um, Literally the other side the of the other world. side, the exact other side of the world. Right. And so we were a little concerned, but mm. uh, but as Mandy shared her heart about what God was calling us to do, her mom just quietly listened at the end. Was like, well, if that's what God's telling you to do, that's what you need to do. Mm. And God had been preparing her to walk in faith through that. Yeah. My family's a little different. I none of them follow God. They don't have a framework for what it looks like to put Him first before the world. And I'm the first one in my family to go to college and have a career and all of those elements that they kind of had put their, in some sense, hope in. Yeah. And so to watch me say goodbye to all of that and choose this life has been a instigator of many good conversations where, mm-hmm. you know, I, God hasn't brought fruit out of it yet, but I trust that at some point declaring to them that Jesus is worth sacrifice is something that might, might he, he might use to save them. Yeah. And so I, I look forward to, to him continuing to use that. Yeah. How are you guys as a family? Like how are you leading your family through this just to try to envision, but then also looking to grace for the sacrifices? Um. Yeah, I think for Manny and I, and then for the kids as well, just trying to always be mindful of the worth of God. Mm. Right. I mean, there's, there's no substitute for how great God is. Uh, and the fact that 
the the people of Isan walk without hope right now. You know, while we were there, there was a one impactful moment was uh, prayer walking through the town and then going to visit their temple. And when you kind of walk into the temple grounds, there's a little stand off to the side and they sell like things you can do as offerings. And one of those was like little flowers. And so people will come in, they buy the flower and they'd go and they'd, they'd pray and spend some time. And then they'd leave the flowers and offering and they would leave. And then a few minutes later, the monk would walk up and he'd sweep up all the flowers and he'd take them right back to the place where they sell them. Mm. And it just kind of, it kind of broke my heart to watch that and to consider, uh, you know, it came to mind Hebrews 10, where it talks about how the priest had to make continual sacrifices all the time, that it was never enough. It was never going to be finished until Jesus came and he did a once for all sacrifice that was sufficient and complete. And there was no more. Yeah. And the fact that the people of Isan don't have any opportunity to have that assurance, there's no end to their merit making. Mm. There's never enough. And just the realization that God is worth it and that there's people lost in complete darkness with no light. I think we, we try to, to talk about that regularly with the kids. Yeah. We try to keep it in our hearts because it, it can be tempting to get lost in the world and forget why we're doing this. and. Yeah. and what it's all about. Yeah. What, um, as you guys are preparing to go, what's, what are some of the biggest challenges you guys are facing? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, we've worked through a couple of the big rocks that we originally had in our, in our bucket, you know, selling our house and, and, mm. um, beginning the process of downsizing, say goodbye to people. We haven't you know, said our final goodbyes, but just sort of preparing our hearts for saying goodbye to people. And then, Fundraising has been yeah. a huge part of the the battle of faith in our hearts. Honestly, that's one of the most challenging aspects for us. We've never done anything quite like that before. And just the tension that's required of knowing that it is God who provides everything we need and he will provide. And he asks us to have faith, but at the same time, we have to do things. Yeah. <laughs> and that tension of doing and waiting and having faith has yeah. been has been a real challenge. And I think it's one of the blessings of God to have us walk through that here as an exercise to, to build up our faith muscles yeah. to be ready for what he has for us there. But it, it has been a challenge and it's been, yeah. you know, st it's still ongoing. So it's still yeah. a challenge. So talk us through the, you mentioned the fundraising stuff. Like what do you, what are you guys looking to raise? I mean, make your pitch, you know, like talk us through what is it that we need? I, I don't mean that, but I'm just like, what, what's the fundraising need that you guys have and what's, where are you guys at with the, with the goal? Yeah. So God's blessed us immensely. We have uh $75,000 raised so far, which is everything we need to, to initially go, it, okay. it, you know, all the initial visas, plane tickets, setting up a home over there, all of that good stuff we have. Uh, what we still need is monthly financial partnership ongoing. Cause if you're going to be there for 10 years, you can't raise it all up front. That's yeah. be enormous. <laughs> yeah. Um, so right now we're at 72% of, of our need and we still need something like 20 more families to come alongside us and partner giving each month to allow us to be able to stay there long-term. Yeah. What's the, do you have like a number of like what that those 20 families represent or so of monthly need? Yeah, it's it's um a little less than two thousand dollars. Okay, so we're talking roughly two thousand dollars a month. You guys are still looking to raise, 
Right, right. So we have some folks that give us $5 a month and some that give $300 a month. And, you know, we, we ask everyone to just consider what God would have them do with his resources. It's, mm. it's all his, and we don't want to give out of compulsion. Yeah. But, you know, apart from folks sending us, we can't go. Yeah. So if people want to keep up with you guys and give, how, how do we, what are the action steps we need to do to be able to do that? Yeah, so we have um, a couple things on the table back there. We have prayer cards, uh, a card with sort of all the the cool stats about Eson, and then we've got a sheet where you can sign up with your name, phone number, and or address, address and email. And one thing we do is try to send out a monthly newsletter. It kind of says what we're up to. It includes all the prayer points. So we'd ask that you consider adding us to your standard prayer rotation, whatever that might look like, once a week, once a month, every day would be great. <laughs> Um, and we'll kind of send you updates on, on how you can be praying for us. And then on those cards, there's information on how to give or in each of our newsletters, there's a link at the bottom and, uh, please definitely reach out to us. We have our emails on there. You can feel free to contact us or, mm. or ask Jacob. He can, yeah. he can get you the info. I can get you the info. Yeah. Excellent. Um, David, I really appreciate you sharing with us before we, I, what I want to do is I, I'd like to ask Bill to come up and him and I pray for you, but, um, before we do that, just talk us through one, just one small thing. What is one thing that's been feeding your soul as you guys are looking to go? Uh, I mean, just lately, what's been feeding my soul is union with Christ. Mm. Uh, it's something that is emphasized an enormous amount in in Scripture in the New Testament. Uh, and I'd never really spent any time thinking about it. Uh, I, I originally thought of the gospel as I've got like a legal problem. I've accrued some debt sitting on my back and Jesus was over there and he died and he, he took that and he like took it away and he rose up and one day I'm going to go over there, but he's over there and I'm over here. And it wasn't until recently. No, I mean, Paul describes it as I'm died in Christ and in him I resurrected and we're unified. And so there's this, uh, intrinsic inseparability yeah. to me, Christ and his benefits. And it's like, like we like you were sort of saying earlier it, it, in Romans eight, it talks about how if God gave us his son, yeah. how could he not give us yeah. everything? I, it's, it's an impossibility that he could be willing to give us his son and we could be in him and him not just bless us with everything we possibly yeah. need. That's excellent. David, thank you for sharing brother. We're going to, Bill, would you come up and we're going to pray for you guys um, and then we'll continue to worship God. You stay seated because you tower over. Yeah. Of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what would you pray first? Here? Sure. Well, um, there's a, uh, I've mentioned this before, but there's a, there's a Greek word, not that I'm a Greek scholar, but it's called koinonia. And koinonia is this, participation together as Christian brothers and sisters in the work of God. And so um, we will pray for you that we will be grafted to you mm. as you go through this journey. Yeah. And that uh, if God lays on your heart to financially support, please do it yeah. um, out of obedience, but also the joy that God's given you the opportunity to not just minister here in Manchester or in where you live or where you travel to, but across the other side of the world. Yeah. So let's pray. Yeah. 
Lord, we just yeah. thank you for David and Mandy and their family, Lord. We thank you for the, yes, their faith to answer the call that you put before them in their lives, Lord. So often you give us opportunities and we overthink them or we rationalize, but the fact that you spoke so clearly to Mandy is just such a wonderful thing and that she responded the way she did, completely out of character, uh, even probably confirmed from a faith standpoint that this was you speaking to them and through them. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help them as they go through this journey, that you would strengthen their resolve, Lord. Every time they, they speak of this mission, their heart would break for Thailand, that they would be further drawn into the thought of your work, Lord, that their gospel, the gospel could be um, imparted to a place that's not seen the gospel, not heard the gospel, to a people who need the gospel. And we're just so thankful, Lord, that people respond to your calling. We pray, Lord, for us, you'd challenge us to uh, look for ways that we can support them through prayer, through our own uh, financial giving, that we would look for opportunities to not just um, write a check, Lord, but to make them a part of our daily prayer, that we would, you know, that you would put them on our mind and we would go quick to to prayer, Lord. And we just pray for fruit. We pray, Lord, that fruit would be um, born from this whole exercise. And I pray that in David's family, <clears throat> that his faithfulness, Lord, too, to answer this call would touch their hearts yes, and would change their lives, Lord, that they would know that this is not a rational thing to do for someone who uh, is someone that they've known and has gone through uh, school and is sounds like the the one that everyone looked up to and that he's doing something that's so out of character, Lord, but you would use this, Lord, to touch their hearts and change their life by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the gospel would become real to them and that their hearts would be drawn to you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Father in heaven, we pray for our brother and sister and we ask that you would bless them. Lord, as David was just saying, they, they are in Christ, God, and you smile upon them God, and you smile upon the people of Thailand. And so we pray that you would give them the grace for the steps ahead, God, and that you would call them into the days ahead where they're laying down their lives for these people out of love, out of desire for them to know and be glad in the living God. Father, would you bless their children as they are making sacrifices, unknown sacrifices, for the sake of the gospel. God, we, we join with them and we raise the shield of faith together against all the work of the enemy that would come against them. You are a God who pursues and saves. And so God, would they lift the shield of faith against all the work of the enemy that he would come after them with doubt and lies and political power, God, and would they trust you, the sovereign God, to lead them and provide for them. God, we lift our brother and sister to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.